The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United and we're back. It's Monday morning and we're here to conduct the post-mortem on that shambles at St. James's Park. There is nuggets of positivity in this podcast still though, so hopefully we might be able to intrigue you with some summer transfer news, some details about Luke Shaw's new contract, the women's team doing really well as well, but of course we can't get away from the fact that we need to talk about Sunday. Uh, it's a good morning, I think, to Andy Mitten. Good morning. And a good morning to Laurie Whitwell as well, who is still in Newcastle, but has decided to console himself by wearing a scarf indoors. Laurie, what on earth are you doing? Well, this is your scarf, Ian, or rather it's your daughter's scarf that you asked me to look after after the Carabao Cup final. Yeah. I don't really know why I've got it, to be honest, but it's been how many weeks? I think I just forgot you had it, to be fair. <laughs> I've been carrying it around in my bag just in case I see you at a game. And, and I've just got it with me now, so I thought I'd put it on, console myself, given you know it was the last time that United... Uh, beat Newcastle and, and they, they can actually beat Newcastle because uh, yeah yesterday was a real real disaster I think uh, so yeah just trying to give, give myself a little bit of comfort in the uh, oh, oh boy because I'm still in Newcastle as you say you know I don't know why I keep doing this to myself after Liverpool I stayed in Liverpool you know obviously unplanned this time it was planned yeah this but, is out um, of choice at least yeah yeah well I'm consoled by the idea that that scarf that I left with you for six weeks is now consoling you and it's been of some use rather than just a nuisance taking up space in your bag but and it, it I've called it a shambles what did you just call it then Laurie a disaster there's words for it none of them are good are they not at all and they're strong words and it was a, a really bad game for Manchester United to lose United did not deserve anything from that game Newcastle United played very well but they're far more of a direct rival than Liverpool are this season. So you, you, you lose 7-0 at, at Anfield. That's clearly horrendous. But Liverpool are way off Manchester United. Said a week ago, Newcastle United win, they go above Manchester United. There's still a lot of football to play, but very disappointing result. Very disappointing performance. A continuation of the appalling away form against the top teams. And Manchester United started badly, never got into the game. Some of the statistics were horrendous. Players not touching the ball. Just lots of really worrying facets to that match. The over-reliance on Casemiro. The really poor form of, of so many players. And I'm a little bit worried because, said at the start of the season, top four and a trophy. Manchester United is still in the top four. But there's away games at Brighton. And at Tottenham to come, the FA Cup semi-final against Brighton. This has been a good season so far. That trophy was won against Newcastle when Manchester United did very well at Wembley. But if United are not careful, then fourth could become fifth and sixth. And the progress that has felt continual right since that Brentford defeat um, will evaporate. If Manchester United don't get in the top four, success becomes failure. And it hasn't felt like a season of failure. It's felt like a good season. Yeah, it has felt like a good season. And of course, it still can be a good season. The, the, I think the the thing about the, the result yesterday, Laurie, is the fact that it just feels different. You know, the, the defeat to Arsenal, to City, to Aston Villa, um, to Liverpool, 
because United have been in such good form around it and because it didn't really seem to affect much in terms of league position and, and everything else or it was early on in the campaign, it didn't really sort of touch them. They just sort of brushed themselves off and got on with it. But this result, ensuring that Newcastle go above Manchester United, if Tottenham win later, they go above Manchester United as well. Suddenly, they're out of the top four, games in hand or not. You know, that's still a, a bit of a worrying sign. It just feels different, doesn't it? It was so poor. Yeah, I mean, I was chatting to Samuel Lucas at Manchester News and he said he thought it was worse than the Liverpool performance and then I had another colleague who works for the Sun, Phil Cadden, his United fan, he texted me saying the same thing and I, I kind of sort of pondered it and thought actually, you know, I suppose the Liverpool one was an aberration where it's like a freak second half, everything that Liverpool touched turned to gold and that still shouldn't neglect that United were really, really bad but this felt like a complete performance from Newcastle and a, and a complete failure for Manchester United as, as Andy says from minute one to the, to the final kind of chaotic finale um, and in the way that this was a really important game where you know United knew Newcastle were going to be up for it and Eric Tenag referenced that afterwards and both he and Luke Shaw saying that it was character and determination that was the um, was the main issue which is something that we've actually you know for, for the majority of the season said that's been their standout quality you know that perhaps they're the hallmarks of last year aren't they really exactly that exactly that and I mean maybe this is the right point to touch on that stat that we were talking about off air where you actually look at the Premier League table after 27 games last season don't say it <laughs> sorry United had 47 points uh, this season they've got 50 points so it's only three points more basically that is a ridiculous stat isn't it which does feel weird as Andy says because it's felt like a really positive season um, and, and the goal difference, you know, it was plus 10 last season, it's plus four now this season. And I know the Liverpool game, um, you know, is, is a big sort of factor in that. But um, nonetheless, it sort of just sort of paints the picture of, OK, there's definitely been progress and you can't uh, ignore the, the cup runs because they've been brilliant. You know, the Knights against Barcelona, absolutely fantastic. Um, scoring lots of goals in the Cups as well, um, which has been probably the problem in the Premier League. 41 goals in the Premier League in 27 games is, is really bad. Um, but so, and United could still finish the season with three trophies, FA Cup and Europa League, you know, very possible. So I think that would be a, a fantastic season. And then that would obviously qualify United for the Champions League next season. So they've got this insurance policy. Um, but it does just feel that, okay, that's that's concerning, that, that level of performance. And then when you get into the fact of, you know, Valt Vegor starting a 19th game in a row and, and touching the ball, I think, 10 times, making four passes from five attempts, that, that kind of stuff. And, and that, that's what you expect is, is, a, is a loan signing from Burnley. That's, you know, you're not going to get a guy that's going to score you 10, 15 goals in the second half of a season. Anthony Marshall came on, you know, first time in a long while that he's played, um, which has been incredibly frustrating. Um, showed his, his quality, didn't he, with that touch and, and attempt of strike. So, you know, you can't, United are kind of hanging the hat on Anthony Marshall staying fit, really, for the for the running, because they need that competition up front. They, they can't rely on, on Valt Vegos for the running now. There's, there's big holes in the squad, and Laurie's touching on exactly the right names there. I, I don't blame Valt Vegos for signing for Manchester United. Can't fault his professionalism. He works hard, but he does not look like he's got the quality to be playing up front for Manchester United. He's a goal scorer who doesn't score goals. I'm really reluctant to pile in on somebody because I just don't think it's fair. I don't think he's done anything wrong here. I know why Manchester United went for him. That was partly because world-class number nines coming in January simply doesn't doesn't happen. And Manchester United spent last season's transfer budget last season. Spent more money than any other club, apart from Chelsea when they signed 709 players and 16 different managers for this season. 
But it's not just Veghorst. So many players are really, really disappointing. Um, Jaden Sancho, we know he's had an up and down season, but when he signed, he was hailed and his price tag matched this as one of the most exciting players in the world. Just not happening. Anthony Martial, he actually did improve when he came on because he's a top, top class player. But if you can't rely on him, then you can't rely on him. It's that simple. He's always injured. There are holes all over the squad. And Newcastle United, with their energy, completely exploited that. Totally deserved to win. And I get the point about comparing it to the Liverpool defeat. That was a defeat at St James's Park against a direct rival. That was a really, really bad game to lose. And I was surprised that Manchester United were in the game for so long because certainly didn't deserve to be. And we're seeing the deficiencies. I hope that Scott McTominay would have a good game because he'd done really well in the international break. But if you're going to compare him to Guimaraes, then I'm sorry, Guimaraes is a far superior player. And Newcastle United had the better in the midfield. But I also think the manager shouldn't escape the criticism. I thought that some of his calls were the wrong ones. I thought his substitutions came late, bringing off Varane and Martinez. Maybe that's a message to them. I'm not happy with how you've played, with your especially out of position, being too close to the goalkeeper, um, at fault for for the goals. But it was a wild gamble to take off your two central defenders. Yeah, it certainly was. Uh, Laurie, you mentioned the stat about being just three points better off from last season. That's from your match piece, which is up on The Athletic at the moment, which people can go and peruse if they feel... The need to. I'm sure people will want to know more about what happened if uh, not enjoy reading it word for word. But yeah, that that substitution of changing the shape just after that, it just didn't look like that was ever going to help United get back in that game. If anything, it it brought what it deserved, uh, another goal and a heavier defeat. Yeah, I asked him about this after the game, um, just to sort of, you know, was it trying to change the dynamic, you know, to, to wrestle the initiative from Newcastle, I suppose, you know, because you're putting on an extra attacker. But it was a really curious period because at, at Newcastle, it's, mm. the, the seats are brilliant. You're right behind the dugout, so you can see everything. You can see the little glances, the kind of little conversations that are going on. And Varane just didn't, want to come off he was confused like he, he didn't know because he, he knew Martinez was going off and kind of Eric Tanag is calling him across he had to do it like three times basically to say no it is you you're coming off um, and then eventually you know he, he comes off and it's fine but it, I mean Tanag said afterwards you know you have to gamble you know you have to take a risk you have to try and turn the game I think what was it 82 minutes 1-0 down we certainly saw it, you know, under Sir Alex Ferguson, he would he would sort of change the, the team and, and kind of you know put four attackers on and, and you know it would it would either disrupt the opposition maybe, but it did feel like Newcastle just had their their grip on the game and you know they made attacking substitutions themselves and then that you know it, it, it gave a bit of a chaotic feel to it because it had you know Lindelof as as your one sort of central defender, Dallow as as your kind of right centre half and, and Luke Shaw as your left centre half. Um, and it was interesting Tenag referenced a defender that could play with space behind him. So that's why I put Lindelof on rather than, we think, then Maguire, you know, which is kind of a bit of a telling, you know, choice to make in that uh, circumstance. It's a bit of a dig at everyone, that, isn't it? Yeah. In a well, way. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose, I mean, Martinez didn't look happy, did he, coming off? Anthony didn't look happy coming off, you know, so it was, it had that kind of fragmented feel to it, the whole game where, 
a bit fraught and a bit tetchy. Uh, I mean, that was certainly the case on the touchline between the, t- the two managers, you know, because yeah. clearly Ericsson Hag's words before the Carabao Cup final and then again repeated before this game that Newcastle time waste got under the skin of Eddie Howe and his team. You know, Eddie Howe referenced this after the game. He was asked sort of very pointedly, did that uh, irritate you? And he kind of paused and kind of, you know, did it motivate you and, and, and didn't really want to go there fully. But he, he, he basically gave the wink and said, yeah, it did. Um, and you could see... Jason Tindall, his assistant, I think at one point De Gea was taking a bit of time over a goal kick and he's in the fourth official's ear saying, <laughs> oh, and we're the ones that are supposed to be, you know, wanting the ball out of play. Anyhow, reference, you know, we, we're a fast, energetic team. We want the ball in play, even though the stats do show, you know, they are very low for, for ball in play. Um, but, but, I mean, even the goal kicks were kind of slightly odd um, set pieces, weren't they? Because at times, you know, they would try and do these short ones, but they've, they've clearly worked a lot on these sort of short kick-out routines where Martinez passes it to De Gea and I mean at one point went through the lines to Varane and then in the second half went through the lines to Fernandez. at times they sort of have a bit of a discussion a bit of a debate and, and De Gea shuns people away and then goes long um, Tenag actually applauded uh, De Gea passing it short in open play once to Martinez and then also a later point to go long to, to Vegor so clearly the, that's something that they've been working on I'm trying to figure out exactly what the 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 main thrust of it all is but the overall impression was just I don't know it just didn't feel quite right didn't feel quite settled a team confident in its own abilities and and knowing what it was trying to do I suppose as well you have to take into account that those changes were made after 82 minutes that were way below what Eric Ten Hag was expecting so I I guess just something wild like that may have been the only way that he saw his team getting back into the game and they were going to lose it anyway so why not take the risk I think we're used to Manchester United starting games badly now it's becoming the norm and I did a piece for The Athletic over the weekend talking about the intensity of uh, of the games and how Eric Ten Hag is planning to, to deal with this and one of the stats I used that in all competitions this season Manchester United's first half goal difference is 26-20 in the second half it's 62-28 that's a massive massive difference and we've been there we've been there at Old Trafford when Fulham quite frankly, outplay Manchester United in the first half and then United get a bit of luck and surge back into it. But that defeat at Newcastle has been coming. Even Leicester at Old Trafford were the better team in the first half. We've seen some of the poorest teams in the league playing really well against Manchester United and United coming away with the three points. It's that results machine that Jurgen Klopp uh, talks about. Are the team riding the luck or does luck even itself out? over the 38 games. And there's been times this season where Manchester United have got the late winners, finished the game strongly, which I think is really encouraging because if a team is finishing strongly, then it shows that there's unity in the squad and every single person I speak to, and I'm sure Laurie will say uh, similar, says that the, the dressing room atmosphere is so much better than it was this time last year. So we can make all them unfortunate comparisons with a year ago about league form compared to now and then but some pretty negative influences left that dressing room at the end of last season it is in a much better place than it has been for for quite a while I just think that Tenag has actually not been in the job for that long and if you gave him a blank checkbook which he's not got he would be bringing four new players in and when we spoke to him in in December he said absolutely um Love Jude Bellingham here and 
I, you mentioned like six different players and you're like, yeah, of course you would. You're mentioning world-class players, but it's getting them, which is the hard bit. So recruitment's going to be really interesting this summer. The ownership's going to be really interesting. What Manchester United do with Mason Greenwood's going to be really interesting. So the soap opera carries on. There's always these big, big issues. On one hand, the Glazers are saying this is business as usual. Then we see the figures, which Laurie reported on 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 Friday, and you're like, how can it be? Manchester United need money from somewhere. Really do. Really do need a capital injection because the club gone from being one of the most profitable in the world to a club which has got major financial issues. Yeah, well, if you want to read more about Manchester United's financial results, of course, lots of information on that as on The Athletic at the moment. If you want to go through yesterday a little bit more and indeed read Andy's piece about how Manchester United are negotiating this demanding season, they're all up on The Athletic. Remember, there is the offer, £1.99 a month for your first year when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Pod. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Well, I don't know about you, but I need cheering up. Laurie Whitwell, tell me something that's going to make me smile, please. Oh, wow. That's a big, big, big call here. Um, Luke Shaw, new contract. Does that make you smile? It did last week. Okay. Well, I mean, he, he came out again, didn't he, after the game uh, <laughs> and gave an honest, I'm very joking. honest uh, interview. I mean, talking about, you know, players uh, having a bit of a, a crisis meeting before even the staff got in. I mean, that's kind of what you want, really. You want players that can call each other out and, and address things and... Um, not necessarily need to be guided by the manager at all times. Um, a strong dressing room, I think, is a is a good thing. Um, but yeah, he he is uh, going to be signing a new contract. He confirmed that uh, after the game. Um, myself and David Ornstein wrote the story on Friday, um, and and this was a, a bit of a surprise because I think there've been talks going on for a little bit, and there was a, perhaps an assumption that the takeover might stall things. You know, let's just wait and well, see. There's what other priorities there. as well, isn't there, on the contract front potentially for United? Too. I mean, Marcus Rashford's obviously a huge one that United needs to get sorted. Maybe Luke Shaw's. Was more straightforward then. I, you know, I think he is yeah. get, getting well paid. You know, he's 27 years old. He's already on a good salary at Manchester United. I'm sure he's going to continue that. Um, but the, you know, it feels like he's had a, a good season and his maturity is showing. Um, he speaks well, and I think he's he's a good presence. There's there's been times in the past where I think United have kind of wondered could he go the other way. You know, he, he you know perhaps as Andy sent, said there. You know, dressing room influences. Uh, played a part in how he uh, handled himself at certain mo- moments, but he's always been quite self-critical. Actually, Luke Shaw, I think that's a real uh, positive thing about him, and you know, therefore he-, he can come out in these moments when United haven't done well 
and be quite honest about it. Um, and he doesn't absolve himself from that kind of blame. So yeah, I, I think he's had a really good season. It wasn't his best performance at Newcastle, but I think overall, you know, six assists, I think it is in the Premier League. Um, he, he's he's showing the kind of smartness that you need as a, as a direct Ten Hag player, you know, offering himself to go at centre-back as well. Um, early on in the season did really well so I think that's is that is that Ray of Sunshine Luke Shaw new contract is that good enough for you? Yeah just about I think I like the way that Shaw speaks as well he's almost more interesting when United lose than when they win unfortunately though isn't he because he is so honest in his assessment of things uh, Andy you wrote a piece uh, after that news just about the position of Luke Shaw in this squad and He's been an interesting player to keep an eye on during his, the course of his time at Old Trafford. He's had his problems of injuries, no doubt, but he seems to have these real periods of up and down form as well. He, he's certainly in a period at the moment where you can say his form has been good, but you sort of delved into some of the, the detail behind that, Andy, in that piece, didn't you? Well, I spoke to lots of people about Luke Shaw at the end of last week and people who know. And the feedback was, it was 8 out of 10, eight, 9 out of 10. But one of the points was... Uh, when he's challenged, and he has been several times, Alex Talese, for example, Tara Malassia, he raises his game and he very quickly, because he's that good, basically goes, right, I've got a challenger here. Technically, he's better. He's got pace. He's got power. None of the coaches who've worked with him, none of the managers who've worked with him would dispute any of those qualities. His calmness on the ball. At his best, he's a world-class fullback. The problem is when he eases off. And we've seen that so many times. Now, there's mitigating factors with Luke Shaw. I remember speaking to him in 2017 in America on a preseason. He just said, I would not wish my injuries on any footballer on this planet. And I agreed with him. There's been times where he's player of the year, times when he's missed months and months and months. He went like six years without playing for England. He made his debut at 18. I remember speaking to him in Belo Horizonte in Brazil. In 2014, after playing for England against Costa Rica, one of the worst games ever. Not as bad as those final Mourinho games at the end of the 17-18 season. But that Costa Rica-England game was one of the worst games ever. And Shaw played in it and he did well because he was a young lad and he didn't concede any goals. And he's had really good games this year. But there are still games where he drops off. I was told the game at Wembley against Newcastle United, actually people pretty disappointed in him. And praising Terrell Malassia for the way he played against Mares in the Manchester derby, following very specific instructions. And someone said, you know, when Luke does that, he's an absolute monster. But when he doesn't, he can cost the team. But on balance, I think Luke Shaw, he didn't play well against Newcastle. Most of them didn't. But he's 8 out of 10. He's, he's decent. I'm glad he signed the contract. I think he's getting better. Started this preseason in Dubai. Nothing about it on social media. I think in his private life, he's much more settled. He's become a father again. His family are very supportive. There are all the Manchester United away matches. There's no circus around them. You can't say that about all the players' families. So on balance, yeah, I'm having it. Yeah, definitely. It's There has been consistency or more consistency this season as well, hasn't there? And I think the development of him being used as a a left centre-half speaks to the maturity that he was looking towards as well uh, when you spoke to him, Andy. I'm not sure that did cheer me up completely, Laurie. Have you got anything else? Um, I don't know, maybe some transfer news to to tickle the the junkies ahead of the the summer transfer window? 
Well, that's it. We're in April now, so we know. We're I, getting... I've seen talk of uh, Harry Kane on the Athletic. A Harry Kane. Let's let's go there. Yeah, I mean, so Harry Kane has been trailed by, trailed has been trailed by uh, other people. I'm going to say that's an exclusive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think Harry Kane needs to go on trial anywhere, does he? <laughs> no. Twenty nine on course to be the Premier League record goal scorer ever. Yeah, I mean, so we we basically came together and and sort of tried to figure out exactly what was going on with Harry Kane and Manchester United because clearly he's been on their list for a long time. You know, they've had a, a bit of a nibble in previous years. It's never really been the right time because Daniel Levy is difficult to deal with and, and, and you know, Tottenham um, weren't, aren't really, they don't need to sell. You know, they've got this big shiny new stadium that makes loads of money. So it's not like they're under huge financial pressure to to let a guy go, even though he's approaching his final year of his contract. So that's the that's the key thing that sort of changes it from previous years. Does Daniel Levy look at that situation and go, it's better to let Harry Kane leave now for a, a big sum of money. We can bank it, rebuild the squad. We've got a new manager coming in. Or does he want to keep hold of him? So, yeah, the information that we have is that Eric Tanag is sold on Harry Kane as his centre-forward target for the summer. The, the fact that he can come in instantly and, and start scoring goals. You know, you look at the effect that Casemiro's had. I think that might not necessarily have been Tenag's ideal, you know, first choice. Obviously, it wasn't. You know, Frankie de Jong was who he was chasing. But I think the way that Casemiro's transformed Manchester United's fortunes has perhaps, you know, laid a bit of a seed for thinking, OK, if, if we can get top, top quality, we, we can pay the money for it. And if it, you know, if they can come in and, and deliver straight away, then, you know, that's better perhaps than... Um, you know, t- taking a bit of a punt on a younger player. That's not the, going to be the case for all signings and we'll still see what happens with Harry Kane because the other information that we do have is that Daniel Levy would be very reluctant to sell him and, and he can be a very difficult negotiator. So you look at how United had to wait until deadline day to sign Dimitar Berbatov and, and David Gill and Alex Ferguson were kind of exhausted at, at that um, whole thing and, and they're still, you know, they're still close to the club. You know, Richard Arnold has, has brought them close to the club uh, since he's been chief executive and I'm sure they would pass on their experience of, of, of handling Daniel Levy. Um, so it's United are currently assess, assessing the viability of it all. You know, do, does does Kane want to want to leave? Does he does he want to push to leave? That's that's two different things. I think. Um, I think we're you know we know that Kane you know loves Tottenham and, and I think if he was to leave, he would want to leave through the front door. So. Um, does he really want to, you know, cause aggravation to, to force his move? Um, Tottenham could still qualify for the Champions League. We've, you know, we've just been discussing that, and you know, how does that all figure out at the end of the season? I, I don't think there's, I don't think we'll get a sort of definite on this until we know who's in the Champions League, who's not in the Champions League, and then you know they can have a look at it. But, uh, but yeah, Harry Kane is someone that Eric Tenag I think is 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 primed to to want at Manchester United, um, but they do have other options as well. Is that is that giving you a little bit of a, a smile there, Ian? Are you kind of sort of wincing, grimacing? No, no, it brought a wry smile, I would say, to Andy Mitten's face. Andy, what, what are you smiling about? I, I'm smiling at Laurie wearing a Manchester United scarf as he does this interview in a hotel room in Newcastle with the time bridge behind him. He won't be wearing it on the train back or on the way to the train station, that's for sure. I wonder whether Laurie, like, when he looks at the River Tyne, he thinks, there's a body of water. What could I swim that in? <laughs> Going back to his swim days, he's like Billy the Fish in he half man, half fish. Could I do the breaststroke across the across the time? He's nodded along in. He's been timing himself. I, I got right into open water swimming during lockdown. You know when it like started easing and you could you could do these outdoor activities. I went in Sailwater Park, had an absolutely brilliant time swimming. You know five k around those boys. Yeah, Sailwater Park's near, near where uh, 
I'm from. It's it's renowned locally is where people go dogging. Not that I've ever been at night time, but it was a bit of an adventure <laughs> when you'd cycle down to uh, say a water park as a kid, try and do a bit of fishing. Oh, that's got very random, hasn't it? Anything to distract from the conversation, I think. Um, where were we on Harry Kane? Harry Kane's a world-class striker. He's one of the best strikers in the world, but as Laurie says, Daniel Levy is not in the habit of giving up Tottenham Hotspur's best players, nor do they have the financial pressures that they've had in the past. And if Tottenham get in the Champions League, then the impetus swings completely towards them and away from Manchester United if United don't get into the Champions League. United need a number nine. It's clear. It's clear and obvious and that will be the priority um, for this summer. And transfer junkies need their hits. There's going to be every single striker in the world will be linked with Manchester United. Every agent will be doing their best to link their client to Manchester United because Manchester United have got money, got top money. Premier League's extremely attractive. And look, if you've got Bruno Fernandes behind you and Marcus Rashford to your left and Casemiro behind, that's very attractive as a player as well, to be put into that side. The only issue, I think, probably, Laurie, and you've written about it in David Ornstein's column. You've got your own section of that column these days, haven't you? It's a new little feature I've seen. It says, by Laurie Whitwell on there. It's nice. Um, it is the credit card facility and the pledge that seems to have made from last week that the £200 million that's effectively on a credit card for Manchester United will be paid off by the summer. Is that not going to affect what they can do in this summer transfer window if indeed there is no takeover or whatever that's going to look like? Yes, yeah, so this is this is the picture if the Glazers stay, which I know is a is a big caveat, but it's it's a you know, it's a possible one. Um, well, it's it, only so, what, what are we now? We're in early April, aren't we? So the the season's finished next month, so maybe or it could be early June if they get to the FA Cup final. Obviously, well, well, the, the idea from Rain, the bank handling the sale, was that they'd you know. A full takeover in the first quarter of the year and we've, we've had the first quarter you know it's been a few days since 31st of March so yeah the time is ticking um, so I think it's a fair thing to look at what the future and the summer would look like under the Glazers and so this the financial details that came out on Thursday the Q2 results um, you know sort of bring us up to uh, December 31st uh, for Manchester United and in that they you know made a particular point of saying that the Revolving credit facility, yeah, as, as you've referred to it, as I, I call it, the company credit card will be paid off uh, by June the thirtieth. So that's two hundred million that they've used uh, from Bank of America, uh, you know, basically a credit line to, to buy players in previous years. That they started it uh, during the pandemic because the cash flow was an issue with with no match day revenue. So that they, you know, it's it's fair enough to go out and get get cash this way. But it's it's only really because the Glazers have mismanaged the finances to such a degree and put the club in such debt that they're having to go into this um, means, you know, United generate enough revenue. They should be able to spend their own money without having to go to the bank and get, you know, uh, loans that, that come with an interest rate. So the 200 million that they took out, you know, they have to pay 206.2 million to, to pay it off. So, you know, it's it's not... It's not huge, but it's not insignificant either. Um, so, but they're saying that they're going to pay it off because of sponsorship, of, of season ticket money coming in, of, of broadcast revenue that's sort of backdated towards the end of the season. So, yeah, it's going to go to zero. And I thought, okay, good. You know, they're actually the Glazers are paying off some debt from the club. Okay, the gross debt is still there. You know, five hundred odd million pounds worth from the leverage buyout in two thousand and five. But at least this short term debt is going to get paid off. But 
in reality, uh, you know, if United make signings under the Glazers, it's gonna it's gonna go up again. You know, that 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 zero isn't gonna stay there on the revolving credit facility. You know, so if if they uh, want to buy Harry Kane, you know, and it costs a hundred million plus, then you know, the likelihood is that the majority of that money will come from this revolving credit facility. It's it's got a limit of three hundred million pounds, so you know <laughs> that's a, a lot of money. Um, but at the same time, they've got financial fair play regulations to adhere to and, and that will be the case whatever happens with the takeover you know if it's um, Sheikh Yassim's Qatari bid that wins the day you'd think that they would be able to suspend their own money rather than have to um, go on the rubble on credit facility but nonetheless you know, the, the financial fair play regulations would still be a factor in, in what they spend so I, I, it's kind of an interesting um, aspect to United's um, purchasing and, and it was something that mattered to thought okay that, that is actually worth a little item in, in David Ornstein's column because I, I wasn't aware of it so I, I kind of you assume some knowledge on on behalf of of of, um, of these kind of things but actually yeah I think maybe most people don't know that that's how it's going to work no I think as well it's been a difficult sell in recent times when you speak to people who aren't sort of closely following Manchester United's fortunes that there is problems with the way that the club's being run everyone just automatically goes to well, they spent this on that player and that on that player and he came in for that and he's on that wages and Cristiano Ronaldo came back and everything else. And especially when there was a lot of um, coverage of the protests um, that, that took place and everything else, there was like, what are they protesting about? Why are they unhappy? You know, you, yeah. United spent a fortune. But then you dig deeper and you look at details like this and this tells you the reason why the Manchester United fans are so concerned about the way that the club has been run and so frustrated about these sort of aspects as well. Um, Andy? What outsiders say about Manchester United fans protesting is as relevant as a man screaming at clouds. The protests have been consistent since 2005. I, I get these really lazy takes on Twitter. What are you on about? You've spent loads of money. Exactly. Are you going to get your Norwich scarves out again? The Norwich scarves, the green and gold scarves, came to prominence when Manchester United were the best team in England and were in the middle of reaching three Champions League finals in four years. It's never been directly related to performances on the pitch. It is a factor, and we saw that in... 2022 especially towards the end of the season and when the season which faded away but I think the Glazers have just exhausted any goodwill not that there was a lot to start with with Manchester United fans United fans are desperate for them to go it's one reason why whoever comes in next will benefit from a vacuum and there'll be a lot of goodwill even though there might be serious questions about whoever comes in next I think the financial fair play thing is something that a lot of United fans don't realise affects Manchester United. I think financial fair play is actually good for football. And Eric Tenag is still dealing with a hangover from poor recruitment because people are quite right to say Manchester United have spent um, a lot of money. The recruitment has, has really left a lot to be desired in recent years. And I think that Ten Hag signings, Casimiro being the main one and Lissandro Martinez being a very good one, show that he knows exactly what he wants. More power to his elbow um, th this summer, working in conjunction with John Murta. Um, let's see how Terrell Malassia does. He's still very young and inexperienced, but he's not had a disastrous time either. Anthony, I don't think Anthony was the worst Manchester United player at St. James's Park, but he's someone who really needs to kick on in his second season. So I think we do have to cut the manager slack because he's not been in the job that long. I think... He would need some security as well because if Manchester United's ownership thing becomes an issue, 
he's not going to hang around either. His stock is very, very high. And back to the original point with the question is, we can't really control when the Glazers sell Manchester United because they hold all the cards. They can set soft and hard deadlines. There's no rules that they need to abide by. And it's their club in terms of the share ownership. So this could drag on and on. And the idea of it being concluded in the first quarter, I think was optimistic as best. Uh, I'd like to think it was concluded in 2023, but we've got no guarantees that this can happen. It can go on and on and on. Well, I don't know about you, but that really didn't succeed in cheering me up. Um, let's talk about the women's team because they're doing fantastic, aren't they, to kick this section off and then we'll preview Brentford to finish the podcast. A 4-0 win at Brighton uh, to kick off the weekend in the WSL. Um, ensured Manchester United stay top. Uh, a very helpful victory for Arsenal over Manchester City in one way and not the other, of course, because both of those teams uh, were locked in the battle with Manchester United and still are in the title race. Didn't help necessarily but obviously it pushed Manchester City down a little bit uh, and next up is Arsenal for United Andy that's a huge match at the weekend isn't it it's huge I'll be honest for the first time the title race in uh, the WSL has caught my attention I look at the results every week I can see how tight it is at the top as you say Manchester City losing uh, was like okay this is interesting if Arsenal beat Manchester United um, and they've got a game in hand, then they're on level with 41 points with Manchester United. If Manchester United beat Arsenal, suddenly you'll be going, ah, you're telling me there's a proper chance here. <laughs> really? Because I think if United finish in the top three, that will be a success this season. But as we speak, Manchester United are top of the table. Chelsea have got a game in hand and they're only one point behind. I fear them. Yes. I hope that the... Well, they're playing Barcelona in the Champions League semi-final. I'm going to go to that game. My daughters are really getting into it and I can see so much good coming from the rise in, in the women's game. But I'm, I don't think Manchester United will win the league this year, but Manchester United have been top of the league for the majority of this season. So just I think look if you look at the remaining fixtures, you've got the Arsenal game, the small matter of a game at home to Manchester City on May the That's 21st. Huge game, yeah. Huge, huge Finish the season away at Liverpool. Imagine lifting the WSL title away at Liverpool. That'd be nice. That'd be it? brilliant. I reckon like there could be a proper away following yeah, there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. People will really get into that. <laughs> Take loads there. And also, still got the, the cup semi-final against a team called Brighton and Home Albion. Familiar, yep. Familiar. So, semis for both. And Manchester United should be favourites in that one. Beat Brighton 4-0. And... Yeah, I think it's looking good and there's not many games left now. Aston Villa's a danger one. Aston Villa are away on the 29th of April because Villa are, I think, just behind the top four and have been in really good form. Right, well, that's made me feel a little bit better. So let's preview Brentford to finish it. Laurie, you're going to make me feel even more better to talk up Manchester United's chances of getting back on track against Brentford on Wednesday? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I watched Brighton no. three, Brentford three, and, and Brentford are susceptible to, you know, good attacks. <laughs> if you're not come out some good attacks, then uh, I think we'll be okay. Um, That's some world class analysis right there. Just abs- this is what you pay for. Chelsea but- are going to be approaching Laurie next, aren't they? To be the main, the main, 
lead analyst. He just goes in. You've got to be careful against them. They've got good attacks. <laughs> Who needs Karl Anker? Um, yeah, but but then Brentford are brilliant at set pieces, aren't they? And you kind of wonder, you know, if, if United. I don't know. I just think that you know they conceded a set piece to Newcastle, where you know Callum Wilson's just sort of walked into the two-yard area. Is that such a thing, you know? Uh, and just just headed a, a, a you know, Kieran Trippier free kick in. So I, I do kind of have a concern about that. And, and generally Brentford, I mean, they've like lost what is it? One in. I'm going to count up now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13, 14, 15, 16. They've lost one in 16 Premier League games, which was a way to Everton, to be fair. And they do draw quite a lot. But I don't know, I just think they're a good team. You've got Thomas Frank there, who, who seems to revel in playing against Manchester United. He always talks about how Brentford have smashed United um, in, in various games. And Ivan Tony, you know, is just a top striker, isn't he? I, 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 would, I would happily have him at Manchester United if there wasn't this kind of FA uh, charge hanging over him. And I think that that has hampered the, the clubs that are looking at him. But I think he's, yeah, he's a really good player. Um, so I don't know, it, I don't, I'm, I'm a bit cautious really. I, mean, I, I think United have, have rebounded pretty well when they've had setbacks, but I feel like that is sort of dwindling, that, that kind of bounce back ability. And I mean, it's three days away, the, the game. So it looked like fatigue maybe again was a factor in, in some of the, periods um, at Newcastle so I don't know will, will that be enough time to fully um, charge the batteries I don't know I'm a little bit cautious I think you're right to be because the seventh in the league and if Brentford were to win they go four points behind Manchester United but I think one of the great strengths of United this season has been the former Old Trafford you've got three home games now at Old Trafford two of them in the league and quite frankly if you don't beat Brentford and Everton you don't deserve to be finishing in the top four I watched uh, Brentford beat Liverpool at home this season. Obviously, they beat Manchester United, put four past them. I did some really detailed research into them ahead of this game, spoke to all the leading analysts, and the conclusion was um, that they've they've got good attacks. I thought it was that they were susceptible to good attacks. I think I was, was I looking for direct attacks? I'm not sure what I was looking for with that. Good attacks. Good attacks. Good Watch them have good attacks and win the match. And, and Everton at the weekend. Everton are in the relegation zone. Everton at Old Trafford last season was really interesting. That was the start of October. That was the game where I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer lost the support of the majority. That's what I felt, just being there, just speaking to people inside the ground. Everton were made to look good last season. I think in the cup game this year, Everton were not actually that bad at Old Trafford. So Manchester United really need to be winning both of these games with some conviction. Well, I say that, a win would be enough for, for, for both of these matches. Yeah. But I'm glad United are back at Old Trafford. If you look at the league fixtures coming up, I won't say favourable, but it could be much, much worse for Manchester United. Yeah, I think the other factor as well, you, you've obviously written about it, referred to the article about just how much fatigue could be a factor, considering the number of matches they're on for 60, a 60-plus 60 season. It's not happened many times in the history of Manchester United. And in fact, Andy, you wrote, you know, it's probably the most demanding season of Manchester United's history in terms of the fixture list if they are to reach the final of the FA Cup and the Europa League as well because they've had a World Cup in the middle. They've been all over the world at different stages. They've played nearly every single match possible. So on that point, Laurie, what are the chances of Eric Ten Hag rotating his team for the visit of Brentford to Old Trafford? Well, could he do something wild and start with a three-one-four-two or or whatever it was that we ended the game? Could Wout Weghorst not start a match for Manchester United? You've got to think that 
yeah, Anthony Marshall coming back from injury, finishing the game, looking pretty decent. He's got a chance to start the game. You'd, you'd hope that that would be one good you know, switch that he could make. Um, I think Rashford just has to keep playing because he is central to so much of what Manchester United do well. And I, you know, he had he did he had a quiet game at Newcastle, didn't he? But the I think if you're sort of rotating him out of the team, you, you're taking a lot away from it. I, I mean, I, I did one of the stats that I produced in the um, in the piece was I think he's uh, contributed like 33% of United's goals. Uh, in the league, so it's 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 a lot, but it's it's kind of what you'd expect from a, a you know, top um, forward like he is. Um, Bruno, I think he stays in again. The, the midfield, I suppose, that's the one where you think does Fred come in for for McTominay or for Sabitzer? Um, obviously, Casemiro still suspended. Um, I, don't, I mean, Wamasaka was ill, wasn't he? Um, and, and does he still? I think he probably would prefer to have Dolo as his as his right back, a bit more of an attacking um, threat from him. Um, I don't know how much he does change it up. I mean, he, he picked the same team, didn't he, after the Liverpool debacle to kind of go out there and prove yourself. I think this is a different one where he will, I think, have to make some changes just because of the close proximity of the game um, and the fact that it, you know, it, he needs to probably, maybe he does need to drop a, a few players to kind of go, right, you know, I want more from you. Yeah, let's hope for better then on Wednesday. I think we all need cheering up because I'm not sure we we did that on this podcast. We normally try to, but um, sometimes it it just needs to be the reality of the situation, doesn't it? Remember, for all the best writing on Manchester United and beyond, subscribe to The Athletic now. You can pay just £1.99 a month for your first year when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But Andy, thank you very much for joining us, Laurie. Enjoy your journey home in your scarf. Are you going to keep it on? I'm going to hang it out the uh, car window, you know, like the classic on the way to Wembley style. <laughs> Just to prod them about Wembley one last time as you yeah. drive out of Newcastle. Good plan. <laughs> thank you for joining us, mate, and thank you for listening at home as well. We'll see you on the next one after Brentford. Fingers crossed. See you then. Bye-bye. Athletic.